When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Rock is Lit Vault. Welcome to The Rock is Lit Vault, where you can find outtakes from the regular episodes and extended episodes, as well as special features, behind-the-scenes peaks, and breaking news. Join me, Christy Alexander Hallberg, for each enthralling episode, then migrate to The Vault for Rock is Lit Deep Cuts. How you doing out there in podcast land, lit listeners? Here's a little teaser from The Vault about some upcoming episodes of Rocky's Lit. At this particular moment, I'm hard at work prepping for my interview with Rex Weiner tomorrow night. Rex is the author of the Ford Fairlane stories. If you're around my age, you probably remember the 1990 movie, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, starring Andrew Dice Clay that's loosely based on the character Rex created. Call me Ford Fairlane, rock and roll detective. I have the power to get into the hottest clubs, the hottest dressing rooms, and the hottest chicks. Now, if all you know of Ford Fairlane is the Dice Man, you're missing out on a much richer, grittier, more noirish tale. Not to mention the original stories are just totally different from the movie. Oh! Here's a little background. The Adventures of Ford Fairlane was published as two serialized stories. One set in New York and released in six installments in 1979 in the now-defunct New York Rocker. And the other set in L.A. and published also in six installments in the early 80s in the L.A. Weekly. It wasn't until 2018 that the two full stories, New York and L.A. versions, were finally published in their entirety in book form. And I'm excited about talking with the author Rex Weiner tomorrow night about that book called The Original Adventures of Ford Fairlane. Make sure you subscribe to Rock is Lit so you won't miss that upcoming episode because I'm not sure yet when it will drop. Anyway, I've got L.A. on the brain right now, largely because of Rex's L.A. Ford Fairlane story, but also because I'm heading that way in about three weeks for the April 18 book launch of Jessamine Violet's brand new LGBTQYA novel, Secret Rules to Being a Rock Star, at Book Soup on the Sunset Strip with an after-show party at the Viper Room. If you're in the LA area, get your tickets now for the Viper Room gig, which will feature Jessamine's band Movie Club, among other acts. And you don't want to miss her reading at Book Soup, so get there early. I think it starts at 7 o'clock. Anyway, I'll put links in the show notes. 
My L.A. jaunt is also a research trip for my novel in progress, which is a sequel to my novel Searching for Jimmy Page, and will be partially set in L.A. I'll keep you updated on that new book, and I'll definitely have a few special tidbits for Rock is Lit, depending on what I stumble upon during my Hollywood excursion. So I'm very much in an L.A. state of mind at the moment. There's Jessamine's novel that takes place there, granted it's set during the 90s. I'm also reminded of the episode of Rock is Lit that features Janet Fitch's rock novel, Painted Black, which, like part of Rex's Ford Fairlane book, is set during the L.A. punk scene of the early 1980s. One of the two music gurus on Janet Fitch's episode is Pleasant Gaiman, the other being The Germ's former manager, Nicole Panter. Pleasant mentioned a lot of the same bands and music venues and watering holes that pop up in the L.A. half of Rex's book, so I thought it would be fun to revisit my interview with Pleasant as a sort of warm-up to my interview with Rex. So take a load off, fire up some tunes by the Cramps, the Germs, the Weirdos, and the like, and let Pleasant Gaiman take you back to the L.A. punk rock scene of the early 1980s, the same scene that is very much a character in both Janet Fitch's novel Painted Black and Rex Weiner's L.A. Ford Fairlane story. Enjoy. Hi there, this is Pleasant Gaiman, and you're listening to Rock is Lit. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. I'm excited to welcome Pleasant Gaiman to the show. 
Pleasant Gaiman is a Hollywood rock and roll icon. During the 1970s, she was one of the first punks in Los Angeles, documenting the scene she helped create in her fanzine Lobotomy, which led to writing for many of the top mainstream rock publications. She's published literally thousands of articles nationally and internationally on everything from rock and roll to the paranormal, from magic to homeless teenagers. Her memoirs, short stories, and poetry have been widely anthologized and many works were recorded on her spoken word CD, Ruined. She is the author and or editor of eight books, including her brand spanking new Rock and Roll Witch, a memoir of sex magic, drugs, and rock and roll. During the 1980s, Pleasant toured fronting her three bands, all of which released multiple recordings, The Screaming Sirens, The Ringling Sisters, and Honk If You're Horny. Since the early 1990s, under the stage name Princess Farhana, she has appeared as a professional belly dance and burlesque performer and teacher, touring all over the world. She's danced and acted in numerous motion pictures in music videos and on TV shows, and has been featured in many documentaries on belly dance and burlesque. In 2009, she was the star of Steve Balderson's feature-length documentary, Underbelly, A Year in the Life of Princess Farhana, released worldwide in theaters as well as on DVD. A practicing witch, her work as a psychic, intuitive tarot reader, and energy healer has been lifelong. She currently shares her gifts with clients worldwide. In March 2020, she launched the popular podcast, The Devil's Music, also on the Pantheon Network, which explores the intersection of rock and roll and the occult. It is available across all podcasting platforms. Pleasant, welcome to Rock is Lit. Hey, how are you doing? I'm going to throw a few band names at you, and I, I want you to give me your impression of them. The Cramps, X, The Weirdos, Black Flag. Oh, my God. Okay, so The Cramps, um, Kid Congo and I met them in New York. And Kid Congo was, um, he was my roommate at 909 and this guy And we used to go back and forth to New York City on Greyhound buses um, to see, to just live there for like two weeks to a month or, or more and, and see bands and stuff. And we, we, just, we heard about The Cramps from friends in New York. and then. Um, we met them the first time they came out here and I, I, you know, I just banged on their door at the Tropicana Motel and said, you guys want to get drunk and go to thrift stores? And of course they <laughs> said yes. That was how I usually met everybody in those days. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, and, and then I, you know, want to do an interview for my fans in Lobotomy. So I've seen the Cramps and Blondie probably more than, the Cramps, Blondie and the Ramones and X more than probably any band I've ever mm. seen. X. X, I saw their very first show, nice. which was in a, in a big house and in, in um, a living room on Sixth Street. The Weirdos, the first time I saw them was when um, everyone from the punk scene was went to Bomp Records because The Damned, who was the very first punk band um, from England to come to mm -hmm. America, um, were, were playing at the Starwood for two nights. And so we all wanted to go to, to the in-store. So the whole entire L.A. punk scene went there. And um, the weirdos walked in and I was floored by the way they looked. They were wearing like women's raincoats with like crazy 60s belts and chains <laughs> and just you know, like seriously, like paper cups and shit, like safety pin to their outfits. I mean, oh gosh, they looked incredible. And I was like, who are you? And they, they said they were the weirdos. And they're like, we're playing tonight at this place called the Orpheum Theater. And um, they were playing with the nerves that, you know, Peter, Peter Case was in. And then the opening band was the Zeros. Mm -hmm. San Diego and I said you want to have another band on the bill um you know because I was hanging out with the germs 
And they said, sure, because that was the way shit went down in those days. So we went to prepare for the gig. Like we were in um, Chris Ashford's car, like the, the, who put out the germs record. And um, we went to my mom's house and Chris was like, like 21 or, or maybe 22. He was old enough to buy booze. So we got wasted on cold duck. And um, I think there was some quaaludes involved. And by the time <laughs> we got there, we were so messed up. And the germs could hardly, I mean, they couldn't hardly play anyway. They hadn't even been rehearsing for that yeah. long. Like, I mean, maybe days as opposed to weeks. So they sounded like total garbage. Um, um, Darby, who was Bobby Pin at that point, pulled out a giant jar of Skippy peanut butter in homage to Iggy Pop. And that started going all over the stage. I mean, they got shut down immediately because it just, it didn't even sound like industrial rock. It just sounded like a wall of noise. And this was like in a tiny black box theater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, that was their first gig. You yeah. know, and then they 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 kept um playing, and you know, Darby went to the hospital a few few times for like falling off balconies or like getting full of black on stage. I mean, um, who else did you mention? X? No, the weirdos. I, I think I yep. mentioned Black Flag. Everybody. Black Flag. Um, Belinda and I used to work for a booking agency called Hollywood International Talent, mm-hmm. which was above um this lingerie store called Playmates of Hollywood. And um, it was Marshall Burrell, who was the nephew of Milton Burrell. Oh my goodness. Uh, It was his his talent agency. And we met him at the Whiskey and we'd answer his phones. And so um, he was always asking us, who did we like his bands or who did we know his bands that, you know, he could book tours for. And so we were booking Black Flag. I saw a lot of Black Flag shows, but their shows got violent really quickly. And one of the things that distinguished the punk scene in the 70s and the very early 80s from later on was um, that in the in the first few years, the punk scene was so small mm-hmm. and so contained and everyone knew each other that there was no violence. Like everyone would like do the pogo and have a mosh pit, which I don't even think they, it was getting called that yet. Um, but if someone fell over, they wouldn't get trampled. There was no like, you know, fist fights or anything. Like if someone fell over, someone would pick them up yeah. or, you know, everyone was like really good friends with each other. And we just wanted to have a wild time, you mm-hmm. know? So um, the later it got, the more, the more testosterone fueled and the more dangerous, like the slam pits got, which is what we initially called them. Yeah. And um, so many girls from the punk scene just fled. We're like, Nope, I'm not going to go and see them. So like, I saw Black Flag a few times, like at parks. Mm-hmm. I think one of them might have been Hollywog Park, somewhere in Orange County or down near the beach. Um, and then, like they, like other people, would play at house parties because they weren't famous yet. And people, people would be like, "Whoa, you saw like Black Flag or fill in the blank at a house party?" It's like, yeah, that's that's what you mm-hmm. did. There was there was no clubs that were booking stuff like this. None of our stuff was on the radio. Yeah. You know. Well, so, yeah. yeah, I there, and that comes out in the novel Painted Black too. That because it, it is set in 1980, and there is a sense that there's a change afoot with the punk scene. The main character Josie 
is there are sections where she's either in a club or thinking about going to a club and contemplating how skinheads were taking over the scene and things were turning ugly. So that that sounds like what really was going on. That's exactly what was going on. And and I mean, for us, for for the you know, for the original Hollywood and LA punks, that really ruined it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure it ruined it for people in other places too. But then there was you know, when the, as there started to be like more venues and more bands that would in, in just a few years be called quote, quote, alternative. Mm-hmm. There was also, um, you know, more non-conventional venues like country clubs or, you know, rec halls and stuff where you could see things in the hardcore people um, or the, you know, the violent jocks that had the suddenly discovered punk. Um, didn't really know about those because they weren't as as plugged in yet as we were. So there was there was still like a thriving scene. Yeah. Well, I watched the documentary "The Decline of Western Civilization" recently, and that was filmed, I think, in '79 and '80, and came out in '81. And it was about that period of the LA punk scene. And I picked up on a little bit of racism in there and a lot of homophobia, especially. There's this one section of the movie, the documentary, where Fear's lead singer Lee Ving is on stage just ranting about gay people using all these slurs. It's really disturbing. And and I was picking up on some sexism and some anti-Semitism. There were some audience members wearing swastikas. And it, it kind of it seemed to me like it was this toxic white masculinity that was taking over the whole punk scene at that point. That's that's pretty much true because the early scene in LA what wasn't wasn't like that yeah. you know from like seventy six to like around eighty you know mm-hmm. it was seventy six was kind of like glitter rock morphing into punk rock okay. you know but but um like women were women were all over it um uh, people of color were all over it. Lots of people were gay, you know, or queer, and it was fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was the the people from a lot of the suburbs, and they were. It was frankly like really what you're what you're saying is exactly true. There would be like a lot of homophobia mm-hmm. and racism and stuff like that, and that's not what the original scene was like at all. The original scene was like it was like like hate Ashbury on steroids, <laughs> different music, or, or it, you know, it might've been like, it was kind of like a commune, except there was no gardens, <laughs> only a lot of beer bottles, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, it was it was really, like, now you would say it was inclusive, uh-huh. you know, that word, but we never would have used that word because we didn't need to, you know what I mean? It was like, if you liked the kind of music we did, or if you showed up and you were a complete stranger and you had on, like, like a jacket with a bunch of badges or some weird hair would be like, Hey brother or sister, Mm. you know, it was really, we were happy to Mm -hmm. see each other because like I said, since there was, you know, since there was no internet and social media, I still can't fucking figure out how we all came together when I think of, because I never wrote about that part up in my diaries, which I kept because it was just normal to just go out. But I don't know how we all got the, the radar to be at the same places because there was no advertisements. If, mm-hmm. you, if you got a flyer, then you'd have to call people or tell people. And I don't know how anyone found out about parties. Mm-hmm. Like if there had been someone broadcasting it mouth to mouth at a gig the night before, 
you know, mm -hmm. it was such a different time that it blows my mind. Well, are any of these clubs still open, like the Hong Kong Cafe, for example? No, um, the Hong, I can't, I'm not sure if the Hong Kong Cafe is still open, and that's more like from the pandemic. I mean, it was yeah. a restaurant, and it still had been a restaurant a few years ago, and the, the upstairs where, where the banquet room was was where they had the band. So I don't, I kind of really doubt that they're having bands. There, mm. but I might be wrong so I can't say for sure mm. um obviously the Roxy and the whiskey are still there the yeah. basement where the mask was is now under um RuPaul's world of wonder really and all the original graffiti is preserved there but they're really picky about letting people in there which sucks yeah um, hi RuPaul <laughs> you <laughs> I should tell you that you're sitting on some historic gold mine. Thanks so much for being on the show, Pleasant. This has been a hoot. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Stay tuned for the next full episode of Rockus Lit, dropping Thursday, March 30th, featuring Lance Olson's new novel, Always Crashing in the Same Car, a novel after David Bowie. In the meantime, keep rocking and reading and getting lit. Rock is lit. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.